Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Jason Staples and Greg Barnes. You're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by JohnnyTShirt.com. Guys, uh, we've been doing this little podcast here. Of course, to our listeners, we record on Thursday night. We're a little bit later on Thursday night than normal, watching a little clips from Georgia Tech. Uh, but we've done this show two, maybe three years, and it always starts out really, really fun at the beginning of the season. Uh, they're fun to talk about, fun to to go over, fun to predict. So we're going to start out in a positive frame of mind. This year may be different from the past two, at least. I'll come to Greg first. Uh, and for our listeners, if you hear a little one, I'll go ahead and give Jason a, a cop out. Jason is the new dad. So if you hear a baby, welcome to the Inside Carolina show inside Carolina podcast 2019 everybody has kids or dogs it's all good yeah I got a four month old on my lap right now (laughs) (laughs) so so we're winging it but uh so I hope she enjoys it as much as we all do Greg first up get right to it Uh, Carolina and South Carolina Mac Brown said in his weekly podcast or weekly presser you could always have more time uh, but it's here from what you've seen uh Compare this to years past, maybe the last seven years even. What, what's different? What's the same? Um, is this North Carolina team different going into the season than they have been over the past few years? Wow, that's a tough one, Tommy. And I, I think the answer is that, sure, they're different. How different? We don't know because this is a new coaching staff. And we can talk about, and we will talk about, position groups and schemes and new offense, new defense, all these different things. But I think if you would talk to the coaching staff and really what we've heard this offseason is what afflicted North Carolina more than anything, except maybe injuries last year, was shaken confidence. And this is a program that had a, a breakout year in 2015. They were flying high. And even though 2016 ended poorly, they really felt like they were a legitimate top 25 program. And they were for most of that year. Injury bug hit pretty hard 2017. I think a lot of people within the program were like, yeah, you know what? We just had a lot of bad breaks. That's kind of how it goes. And then last year, everything just kind of fell apart. And even as the season went along, in talking with the players, you could sense it. And talking with the coaches, you could sense it. And so I really think that aspect is what's going to be so important Uh, not just Saturday, but this season. Um, But that's more than anything, that's what I'm interested in seeing. How do these guys react? We know South Carolina is going to be a good team, uh, good enough to to win a lot of their games. They're in a tough conference. They have a tough schedule. Uh, But can North Carolina meet that adversity? And when they see that adversity, how do they respond? Do they they brush it off and get back at it the next play? Does it knock them back a a couple feet? For a couple plays, how do they react? And that, more than anything, will tell us how this season is going to go. Um, and so I, I think that will answer your question. I think the coaching staff has done everything they can to this point. The team is is healthy. The team is fresh. They're excited. 
But what happens when the when the lights finally come on and the ball's kicked off? How do they react? And I, I think that'll tell us an awful lot. Jason, you've been in the arena. You, you know what it's like to go into a ball game full of confidence and then, you know, maybe some things don't work out like you planned. But your thoughts on what Greg talked about, I agree this coaching staff appears to have done everything they could do to get this team ready, to get this team prepared. Now the players have to go do it. But the mental side of it, the mental side of the game is so important, especially on the college level. So if you had to take a gander at the Tar Heels in that regard, talk about it. Tell me how you think they are. How how easily can they be shaken? How easily can they be strong going into this ball game uh, against the South Carolina team that's going to present some challenges and one that North Carolina needs to meet to have a chance? I agree that that's one of the big – Question marks. I mean, because this this has been a very fragile football team the last couple of years in terms of, well, both physically. I mean, given some of the uh, injury injury stuff that they've dealt with, and also even more so uh, emotionally and just in terms of the the confidence level of the team. And all you have to do is look at Miami a couple of years ago for a team that was not really that good, but played. And, and, you know, they wound up at playing at a top 10 level for most of the season just because they believed they were that good. And, and, and it is amazing what happens when you, when you can get confidence and you can get a couple breaks and start rolling and you believe. That can matter a lot. Um, the, the thing is, you can see it go, go the wrong direction in a hurry, too. I mean, all you have to do is look at last year's Florida State team coming into the year with a new coach and talking about how much confidence they have in the first-year staff that did everything right in the offseason and everything else. And then they lay an egg in that first game, and all of a sudden the confidence that they had been trying to rebuild that was fragile in the, in the offseason, all of a sudden that confidence is shattered again, and they never recovered it last year. And so those are your kind of – your your two examples here. And I think really Carolina is is neither. Uh, one of the things that I think this, this coaching staff has done a, a good job of is preparing them for some, for things not to always go well. That's one of the things that Mac Brown has been, has been there. And one of the things that, that, that he brings to the table that this team has really bought into is he walks into the room with a national championship ring on. And he says, guys, he exudes calm. And there's, I mean, watch him on the sideline. And there's just never, even when, even when his teams have, have lost, even when they've not done well, he's looked fine. He's looked under control. And there's something to that for, uh, for a team. I'm a firm believer that teams take on the personas of their, of their coaches and coordinators, of their head coach and their coordinators, and also a little bit of their strength coach comes into play as well. But Mac Brown walks into the room and he's able to tell these guys, look, things aren't always going to go well. We've got a long way to go, but I know how far we have to go and I know what we need to do to get there. And so I'm, I'm actually pretty, I'm, I think he, this team has bought into him. You can watch the way they respond to him and the staff. They go, okay, well, you know what? We we're, we're getting better. We're on the plan. And when things aren't going to go fine, well, you know, Coach Brown told us it's not all going to be roses all the time. 
So they haven't just tried to build the confidence and say, yeah, yeah, we're going to go out and be way better. They've emphasized from the beginning that this is going to be a fight. There's going to be pitfalls. There's going to, and, and there's going to be stuff we're going to have to work through, but we know the road and we're, we, we can get there. And that's, a, that's, I think, a really important thing. And that experience that he brings in, in terms of being, being able to explain, I know what it's like to be in a national championship game. I know what it takes to be there. And the calm that he brings into the room and brings onto the sideline, I think that's going to be the big asset here. Yeah. To, to Jason's point, I, for me, the most fascinating comments this week was Wednesday after practice when Mac Brown was talking about uh, his approach to games, how he handles the games, how he expects his coaching staff to handle the games. It wasn't about the players. It was, you should practice the same way you coach. And so when we get to game day, the players should know exactly how my coaches are going to react. They should know how I'm going to react. And one thing that, that Mac really got into was, you know, people have given him some, some grief over the years, but when he's on the sideline and there is a great play that happens, his job is not to be a cheerleader. That's what the fans in the crowd are for. That's what the fans watching on TV at home is for, is to be those rah-rah cheerleaders. His job is to make sure the guys make that same play the next time out. On the reverse of that, whenever there's a really bad play, if he loses his mind and decides to go chew out a player, how does that help? Because the crowd's already doing that. The crowd may be booing. They may be upset. People at home are throwing beer cans or whatever it may be. So his job is to go and try to lift those guys up because, like Jason said, he's been there. And he understands that, you are going to make bad plays. What matters is, what are you going to do the next play? The next time that, that we need you to make a play, are you going to be mentally there? And so just the way that he approaches all of this, I mean, it just, it just reeks of experience. That's probably not the best way to phrase that. But you just sense it. I mean, the guy has been there. He's been at the biggest stage. And so when he walks into the room, not only does he have that championship ring, but he has that confidence about him that just follow me guys and, and we'll be okay. And I, I think the players have bought into that. Now there's going to be a test of that once we get to game day, because they haven't been there with him yet. They have to experience that together for that to really pay off, but at least going in, they're like, you know what? We, we think this is how it's going to be. Uh, so we're, we're in pretty good mindset to start. Jason, sticking with that, something Brown said during the week I thought was interesting is he wants his players to play well, and if they don't, he's going to take the position coaches to task on that. And, and that was interesting to me, certainly in light of maybe some comments by one of the Miami uh, coordinators talking about his quarterback just wasn't any good uh, against Florida. I, I thought Mac Brown's comments were interesting there he put a lot of weight or he took a lot of weight off the player and put it on the coaches for them to perform. That seems like it's, it's a little different than it may have, may have been in Chapel Hill for a while now. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. I mean, you, you'll, what you will hear a lot from Brown, at least publicly is he'll take up for his players and talk about how, well, you know, we, we got to coach him better. This is something that we're, that you know that's don't blame the don't blame the player for that that that's our fault you know we didn't put him in the right position you know he was doing what we asked him to do etc that sort of thing 
And then in meetings, of course, he's going to rip into the coach to say, hey, we got to coach him. But what can we do to put this guy in a better position? So absolutely, that's the way that he's he's looking at his job. And again, you think about he approaches the head coaching position as a CEO. And what the CEO doesn't do is go down to the, you know, if you got a factory, the CEO is not going to go to the factory floor and rip out, rip into some employee because the employee, because, you know, the product wasn't like it should be. The CEO is going to deal with the other C level, with the rest of the C level suite and maybe some managers. And then the managers have to handle the people below that and it's going to trickle down. That's how Mac is approaching this. And he's saying, look, I'm going to make sure I coach my coaches. I'm going to hold a standard that they're going to be they're they're going to be expected to get their players to, and if they can't do that, that's on them. Now, of course, they're they're aware that certain players can't do th- certain things that they that that they may want them to be able to do, but again, that's the job of the coaching staff. Good coaching means, well, you know, this kid does these few things well, but he doesn't do these few things well. So let's try not to ask him to do those things that he doesn't do well. And again, that's that's part of the way that he wants to approach things now of course they again they don't have the level of talent on this roster to be able to go out and and you know run through the schedule the the way that that brown did in some of those years at texas and uh as he was getting things to uh to the level of that level before he left chapel hill but he knows where where they where where they can be and ultimately that's 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 going to be the emphasis and again, the players understand that they're not the only ones being held accountable here. And that, that helps as well. So uh, th- it's all a part of just good management of the way that you run your program. And that, that again, helps with morale. And that helps with, uh, with making sure that your players have, have full confidence when, in, in what you're doing and what you're asking them to do. Indeed. I'll be paying attention to that a lot over the course of the season. A lot of people want to see how certain players do, how certain uh, things work out with the playing style or whatever. I want to see how Mac Brown handles his staff, handles his players, because I agree that that's a huge part. That's what gets kids wanting to play for you. Uh, that's what get kids believing in, in what you're trying to do as a coach and as a leader. Take a short break to talk about johnnytshirt.com. We do it all the time because they are a great sponsor and they're just a great way to get your Carolina gear in Chapel Hill, either on Franklin Street or johnnytshirt.com. Of course, you can get anything you want. Mac is back shirts are still available. The real Carolina shirts are still available for this ball game and forever, really. Uh, just a lot of different things you can do at johnnytshirt.com regards Carolina gear, Carolina Anything you need for the house, for your car, for tailgate, anything. Johnny T-shirt, certainly alumni-owned and operated. Great that they're there on Franklin Street. Great that they're there online. And great that your Inside Carolina Premium subscribers get 10% off every Mm. order. Indeed, Mr. Staples, it is a good deal to shop at Johnny T-shirt, johnnytshirt.com. Let's get right into uh, what everybody's talking about. And and I don't want to beat it too bad because we've talked about it all week here at Inside Carolina. I believe this is probably the sixth podcast we've had this week and everybody's talked about Sam Howell and how will he play against South Carolina. Greg, I'll start with you. Uh, True freshman at North Carolina going against South Carolina in Charlotte. I mean, if a kid looked for a fairy tale 
way to start his college career. Sam Howell certainly got it right here in his hands going into that 330 matchup in Charlotte. Yeah, for sure. And we've done a lot of content on Sam this week for good reason. This is going to be the, uh, to, to everybody's knowledge, this is going to be the first time that UNC has ever started a true freshman and a season opener. Um, so that, that speaks volumes. Like you said, it's, it's in his hometown, uh, just a couple miles uh, west of his hometown, at least. And I think in a lot of situations, you would look at this and say, man, you know, North Carolina is just throwing this kid to the wolves in the first game because that is a tough ask. Um, but in talking with people around Sam Howe, dating back to his high school coach, um, you know, Anthony Boone, former Duke quarterback, has been his, his trainer the last couple years, quarterback coach. Um, his quarterback coach at high school, Don Callahan, spoke with him. Um, all of these guys talk about two things with Sam, and I think these two things will help Sam uh, in this game on Saturday. It'll help him in his career. And it's something that we, we've talked a little bit about in the offseason, but, but those guys really kind of drove it home is that number one, he has remarkable poise. And from a very young age, he was willing to step into throws while knowing that heat was coming. Um, Even when he was in ninth grade as a starter at Sun Valley, there are situations where you've got a a big defensive lineman bearing down where you would expect that kind of kid to maybe throw off his back foot or maybe to kind of scamper and try to run out of the pocket. Sam, time and time again, would step into those throws, make the throw, and take a shot. That says a lot about who he is. Um, the other aspect is just his arm talent. Um, you know, talking you know, Anthony Boone, for example. Don had a good interview with him. Uh, Boone talked about, you know, there's a lot of guys uh, that, that can throw the ball at the Division One level. But not many guys can throw the ball from various spots like Sam can whether it be you know, from the pocket, whether it be on the run. He has great footwork, and he has a ton of confidence in his throwing ability. Now, downside, of course, is that he had much bigger windows to try to force balls into at high school. That's where he kind of gets that gunslinger you know, uh, mantra about him. Those windows are going to be much smaller at the college level, especially on Saturday against a, a good defense like the Gamecocks. So, the potential is there for, for interceptions and some bad plays. But it's not going to be because he's scared. It's going to be because his confidence is such a at a high level that he believes his throwing ability, his, the strength of his arm, that he can make those throws. Um, and I think we can all agree you would much rather have that in your quarterback, that if he's going to make errors, just because he's trying to do too much because he has you know, maybe a little bit too much confidence or maybe a little bit a little too cocky, with his ability much rather than because the kid's scared and he's just throwing the ball up and he's, he's making bad decisions like that. And so uh, a tough task for sure. But when you talk about traits for a quarterback, I, I think regardless of age, those two there are, are pretty important. Jason, let me ask you sort of a different question. Um, not directly about Sam Howell, but about playing as a freshman in general. I, I mean, We've talked a lot about how the difference between an 18-year-old freshman and a 22-year-old grown man, senior or grad uh, or graduate player, is just giant. 
how big, and I know it varies depending on what level of high school you play, but just in general, tell our listeners the jump from high school quarterback to major college quarterback. Uh, I mean, it, it may not be as big as it used to be. And certainly I'm watching a guy like Trevor Lawrence make it look easy, but, <laughs> but for the normal person, <laughs> you know, the non, uh, superstar Trevor Lawrence type person just to jump in general from high school to college for a player Sam Howell whether it's Sam Howell or any other true freshman that steps out there uh, it is a gigantic difference I mean I I'm, I'm re- reaching back to try to think about how this how this how to explain this um Okay, I'll, I'll think about it this way. When I first got to college, I was I was told basically imagine the hardest hit you ever took in high school. Now that's your normal hit, play in, play out in college, and then stuff that you didn't imagine in high school. That's 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 going to be out there for you too. That was fairly accurate. Uh, so the level of physicality is completely different. A guy that you felt like you could run away, like you could run away from guys. And this is one of those things that you often see with the young quarterbacks is, and, and this actually happened to Jaron Williams a lot uh, as a redshirt freshman uh, for Miami in that first game is this is a guy that, you know, he, he gets a little bit of pressure and he feels like he can outrun that pressure a little bit and extend the play and maybe look downfield and, and try to try to make a play in high school. You can run away from that guy. In college, in the ACC or the SEC, you ain't running away from that guy. You you better go ahead and get rid of the football. And that's one of the biggest things is early on, you have to learn, live to see another play. And at quarterback, especially, you have to learn, okay, you know, it's not there. Get rid of it. Live to see another play, both in terms of physically and in terms of down and distance, not taking sacks, not forcing the football, those sorts of things. All of that really matters because in high school, you can you can generally make the play. And I, this is another thing I had to learn. I wasn't a very good player, but in high school, I could break tackles. In college, I remember in a film session in the spring, <laughs> I, I had caught a, a, a curl route or, or something like that in a in a uh, in a in a team uh, scrimmage or whatnot. And. I, you know, turned up field and got hit by the defensive back by the by the corner covering me and then stayed up and tried to fight for more yardage, then got hit by the safety, then got hit by a linebacker and a defensive lineman. And I remember the wide receivers coach, Jeff Bowden at the time, uh, turned to me and goes, Stape, you got to learn to go down. You got to get you got to. This is college. You got to get down and protect yourself. You ain't breaking that tackle. You ain't, you're not, you gotta, you gotta accept the fact that you ain't breaking that tackle. Those guys are coming and they're coming quick and you better get down before you, before you get yourself hurt. And again, that's the sort of thing that the windows are so much smaller. The, the game moves much more quickly in lots of respects. It's the same game, just, just sped up and more physical, but some of the mental stuff where it's like, oh yeah, I can make that throw. No, you can't. Not against that guy. That guy can cut that off. Oh, I can throw. I can throw this a little late. I'll get it there. I can spin it. No, you can't. <laughs> no, you can't. If you don't get it out on time, that's a pick in college. 
oh, I, I, I can, I can scramble out of this and step away. No, really, you, you, you probably can't. <laughs> and it just takes time to make that adjustment. And even Trevor Lawrence had a little bit of an adjustment at Clemson early on, and they eased him in early in his freshman year. And you can see if you go back to those first games, there were some times where he would step away from pressure, or he would do do different things, and you could see him adjusting to the speed. Once he made that adjustment, look out. I mean, it was just, you know, he's, he's one of the best to ever play. Uh, you know, one of the best, probably the best freshman to ever play. So in t- at that position. So, I mean, that's what you're going to get at that point. But even he had a little bit of a learning curve in terms of what throws you can make and what throws you can't. And, and he's still learning that a little bit. But that's one of those things. It is a massive difference. And it's both physical and mental. And you, you have you have to to accept that you have more limitations at the college level than you do at the high school level. Good stuff there. I watched Clemson go up forty two seven on Georgia Tech. They just at will. Trevor Lawrence gives the ball to some back who makes one move and goes the distance repeatedly. Somehow need to rely on his running backs to do some of that work, Greg, on Saturday. So let's before we take a break, let's talk about Carolina's offensive game plan just a little bit. Uh, you know, Howell at quarterback, we'll see Ruder at quarterback, I'm sure. Uh, but relying on the running game, this is somebody posted on the message board, keys to the game. I said, Carolina's got to block South Carolina's defensive front, period. If they can't, they can't win. If they do, they've got a chance. Greg, so the running game for North Carolina, is it the biggest key maybe for the offense um, or is there something else out there that I'm missing? No, I don't think it's the biggest key. I think the biggest key is Sam Howell. What is, what is South Carolina going to try to do in this game, Tommy, to start? Or they're going to throw the kitchen sink at the kid. But in terms of when you go in, you say, okay, there's a true freshman making his first start in this kind of game. Uh, we're not going to bail him out. We're going to take away the running game. And so if North Carolina has any hopes of beating us, uh, Sam Howell better be able to make passes down the field. And so Phil Longo runs a different offense than what Larry Fedora does, although there are a lot of similarities. And one of those similarities is he's going to take what the defense gives him. And so if Will Muschamp, decides to stack eight guys in the box, I don't care who you are. You're not going to run successfully time and time again. You have to be able to throw the ball. And so is the running back core, or are they the best position group on the team? Sure. I mean, everybody says so. Mac Brown said it several times. Are they important players? Of course they are. So can you use them in different ways? Can you use them on swing passes? And we've talked about them being in the slot some. All those things are positives. That's the way you can get them the ball. But if North Carolina fans are thinking that they're going to go into this game and just hand off the first 10 snaps, I don't think that's going to work just because South Carolina will be expecting that. Um, And so, yes, if you're able to establish some success passing the ball and you make South Carolina respect the pass game. Now we're talking about the, the run game being effective. Now you can get you know, Williams, both Williams guys and, and Michael Carter, you can get them in space and, and maybe allow them just to hit a hole and break off some big chunks. Now we're talking. 
but I, I really think initially, uh, if you're not able to establish some kind of passing game, and it doesn't have to be anything big. That's why I've joked around on the board, and yeah, I'm really not joking. But, I mean, take some deep shots just to kind of loosen them up. Is it just say, you know, Sam, we think you have a great arm. Let's take some shots and see what happens. And at least if you do that, then South Carolina says, okay, well, they're not scared to throw the ball. So we can't just put nine guys in the box. Um, but how Longo handles that in the first quarter or two will be critically important to you, determining if the running backs can actually be a factor in this game. So, Jason, are you Team Tommy or Team Greg? Because I think Carolina's got to establish some sort of run to take some heat off Howell. Um, and, and maybe that, for me, makes the offensive line the most important position group in this game. But where where do you stand on how Carolina approaches attacking South Carolina's defense, especially early? So, I'm actually a little more Team Tommy on this. And usually Greg and I are of one mind, but I'm a little closer to Team Tommy on this for a couple reasons. One is... I look I, when I went back and looked at what uh, Ole Miss did against South Carolina's defense last year, and yes, the personnel is very different. Yes, you know, apples and oranges, all sorts of that. But you still got the same coordinator, same basic offense. One thing that stood out to me watching that game, and also when I looked at the stats, is they ran their quarterback twenty-one times. They they re- and they they had 21 carries from their main running back and 21 carries from their quarterback. Ran for 237 against uh against South Carolina on 50 carries. Now the thing yes, they're going to they're going to have to establish the pass early on in order to loosen up the run because you're playing against a, a true freshman quarterback and you're going to have you're you're going to stack the box a little bit more. You're going to you're going to do that sort of thing. But the other thing that you're going to do when you're playing against a true freshman quarterback is you're going to try to get after that quarterback. You're going to try to rush the passer. And that also falls on the offensive line to a, to a large degree in terms of being able to protect the quarterback and be able to make sure that he's got just enough time to be comfortable making the throws that he needs to make. Now, the other reason that I'm closer to Team Tommy on this is that I'm not 100% sure that we're going to see Sam Howell take all the snaps at quarterback. Partly because when I look at those numbers from last year, they ran the quarterback 21 times against South Carolina. And there's a backup quarterback who is obviously your favorite player on this on this team, Tommy. There's a backup quarterback on this team who happens to be a really, really good runner. And so I'll be a little surprised if we don't see some rooter in this game to use his legs in, in, in certain situations and, and provide a little bit of a changeup, at least at some point, maybe a series or two. I, I don't know how they're going to use that. but and, and Howell, of course, can run a little bit too, but th- he's going to need to. It, with what South Carolina is going to do, the quarterback's going to need to run a little bit. They're going to need to use the quarterback run game. And really, the outlets here are, I don't think throwing deep is going to be the answer because what, what Muschamp's going to do is he's going to, he's going to fire zone him a bunch. He's going, to go cover, he's going to go cover one or match three, depending on how you want to, how you want to term it. But he's not really going to, going to give you a lot of opportunities to, to throw it deep comfortably. The places that you're going to, be, you're going to have to, to, to hit those things is in that kind of intermediate, in some of the seams. And also, if they can take advantage if they're going to load the box a little bit, if they can take advantage of some stuff on the perimeter, 
that's really where I think the quarterback can make some plays. And Sam's going to have to make those throws, no doubt. Quarterback's going to have to make them. But ultimately, I don't think if they if if I, I think I think it's true. What you said, Tommy, is true. If they don't run the football well, and that includes quarterback run game as well. But if they don't say run run the football for somewhere around four yards a carry or a little over four yards a carry in this game, they're they're not going to win the game. So yeah, quarterback is gonna it's gonna matter. And yeah, and, and, I mean this is where you can you can always say that, well, you know, if a quarterback throws six interceptions, nothing matters. So in that sense, yeah, you know, I'm team Greg. But aside from that, it really does. You're going to have to be able to protect your quarterback from having to make all those plays all game. You're going to have to keep balance. And if I'm long, if I'm Phil Longo, I'm using my quarterback in the run game. In fact, early on, even though Sam isn't really a runner, he's capable of it. One of the things I'm calling on that first series in my first three plays, I'm calling some sort of quarterback run to get Sam hit. Because I want him to calm down. I want him to get whatever adrenaline is in his system, out of his system with that first college hit, and then let him start to settle down into the game. I'm, I'm, and, and so I'm, I'm moving to the quarterback run game right away to try to counter what, what South Carolina is doing with some of that stuff, not just trying to throw deep, but basically, because that's the thing, a, a defense is a defense against a young quarterback with a big arm is going to say, okay, we're going to try to take away the running back and take away the deep stuff. Cause that's the easy stuff. We're going to make him have to beat us on everything else. All right. Well, I'm going to make him, I'm going to, I'm going to get him hit a little bit early, see how he responds, make sure that, you know, we can, we can get him comfortable, give him a few easy throws on the perimeter. And then from there, try to establish my offense with the running backs. And that's running backs in the passing game, running backs in the in the running game, and all of that. So that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to create balance and protect my young quarterback uh, quite a bit. One last thing, and I know I've gone on for too long here. One last thing. The other thing I'm doing if I'm Phil Longo, if you want to protect a young quarterback, and this is the paradoxical thing, you throw on neutral downs and you run on on, on passing downs. So on first and 10, if you've got a young quarterback that you're trying to keep safe and trying to keep him from making bad decisions, you throw, instead of running the football on first down to try to make sure that you know, you're know you establishing the run and all that, no, you, if you're a 50% run guy on first down, you got a freshman, 75% run. Or 70, I'm sorry, 75% pass. You got a freshman, 75% pass. Why? Because that's when the, when the defense has to honor the run. You throw it then. If you end up in second and third and long, you run the ball. Because then you're protecting your quarterback in those situations that, that are leveraged to the defense. So you throw when you've got leverage on the offensive side. You run when you've got, when you've got less leverage. And I think Longo will do that. Yeah, Along those same lines, one of the things that we've talked about on this podcast throughout training camp is one of the concerns for North Carolina's offense is trying to figure out what's going to work at center. And Tom Murray, I believe, had a concussion that left him out for about 10 practices. They were hopeful that maybe he could develop into that guy in time for the opener. That obviously is not happening. Uh, and so Nick Polino, instead of Brian Anderson, is going to be the starter there at center. So even though he is a veteran, he is playing a new position. And when you look at you know, the fact that South Carolina returns a lot of veterans on the defensive line, 
uh, Javon Kenlaw, for example, is projected to be you know, possibly a first-round draft pick next April. That's a concern. I think that is possibly an area that South Carolina will try to exploit. Um, and so, yeah, like Jason said, you, you've got to mix things up. You, you've got to break tendency. Uh, and maybe that's where we've, we've heard a lot about this power run game. Maybe that's where you take advantage of, of kind of showing one thing, doing something else. Uh, maybe you pull a guard, try to protect the, the interior of that line so that you you don't have guys as being pushed back in the, in the how, and he's having to make really quick questions, really quick decisions. Uh, and then also that, that gives you some, some freedom to, to use some more uh, of your running backs and, and their skill set. So, that's just another aspect that Alonga has got to has got to work around because we have heard you know people's opinions about that center position. We don't know exactly Longo's legitimate concerns there. If he is really worried about that position, he's going to have to get creative. If those concerns are overblown, then you can do a little bit more standard fare. But we're going to have to see exactly how that plays out on Saturday. Yeah, and it's a totally different thing to play center than guard. I mean, that's it's just really hard. They're asking a lot of Polino to do that. It's just it's a totally because you're you're having to snap before you step, and that gives the defender that's over you the chance. He's got a half step on you no matter what you do, and it's just so much harder to get your angles and to anchor and all of that. It's just a different position, and you know if you haven't been playing it a bunch and if you're not extra strong. Well, you know, it's a lot harder. So, yeah, I mean, with with Polino there, I would imagine that there there is some concern because I mean, you're you're looking at a guy that's a guard. He's he's ultimately making a team decision to to be able to do that. Uh, not ideal, and you know, hopefully they get the young guy ready when when uh, a little sooner than later. But he's he's not going to be ready for this game. Yeah, and we don't talk enough about the receivers and the tight ends. And I know folks that listen to this on our message boards give me a hard time for never asking about those guys, but they will play a huge role, and they've been talked about and we will be talked about. We just can't do a 12-hour podcast all the time, but I think the receivers and Carl Tucker at tight end play an important role. I'm going to take a short break, come back. We're going to talk about the uh, the other side of the ball. We're going to flip the field and check out Jay Bateman and what he's got up his sleeve for South Carolina on the other side. We'll be right back. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there 
to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odysseypodcast, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash odysseypodcast now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash odysseypodcast. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. Greg, come to you first. Uh, Jay Bateman's defense, you know, the one thing that I've always been concerned of, and we've talked about it, is how does his experience translate uh, to the P5 level? I, I don't know if there's a reason for concern, but it'll be interesting just to see how they go up against the South Carolina team. that has got a pretty good quarterback. Um, how do you think Carolina comes out, uh, you know, when they take the field? You're going to be down two starters, two upperclassmen, most likely, unless they decide to do one in each half. Uh, you got Cam Kelly back. I don't know how much difference that'll make, especially early in the ball game, but just – your thoughts on what Bateman tries to do at least early against South Carolina? Yeah, with with regard to the the Power Five experience, still, I really look at that as more of a season long issue. Um, I think when you go into the first game, because he's he's had time to prepare, and nobody really knows what to expect from what he's going to do. I mean, obviously they can look at Army film, but he's got a unique personnel grouping now that he's kind of toyed with all off season. I think where the issue there will come in is that as you get deeper into the season and teams are able to say, okay, well, this is his tendency on these particular plays and you have better teams, better players, how does Jay respond to those counters? And I think that's, for me, that's that's where the concern may be. I don't think it's going to be an issue on Saturday. Um, I think he'll be ready for, for the moment. And as he said, when I asked him about it last week, he said, eh, you know, I, I coached in the Army-Navy game. I'm good, which I, which I thought was a great quote. Um, but we we get to see exactly how he wants to utilize the, this defense. And we know they really like what they have up front and Tamon Fox and Jason Sturbridge and Aaron Crawford. Uh, we know that with with the emergence of uh, Raymond Vahasek as well as Tamari Fox, they're able to use those guys opposite of Strobridge at defensive end, which is going to allow Fox, uh, Tamon Fox, to slide outside of that outside linebacker position some more. Now he'll he'll certainly play some at defensive end, but just the fact that they're able to to move him out to outside linebacker, I, for me, it speaks a lot to how uh, those young guys have kind of come along to be uh, you know effective up there alongside of Crawford and Strobridge. So I think that's very important. 
And I think the other thing is when you don't have certain players available, you know, with Ross and, and Renee, uh, and then Jonathan Smith is out due to academic suspension and Ross and Smith are two of your most experienced guys at linebacker. And I know Chad Surratt is listed as a starter at inside linebacker alongside of uh, Jeremiah Gimmel, who's only played a couple games. That's concerning. And so what I think you're going to ultimately see is not many linebackers on the field, at least on the inside. And you're going to see a ton of nickel and maybe even some dime uh, just because you, you want to get your best players on the field. And so I think you have to be solid uh, with your defensive line, with the outside linebackers, and then really rely on those guys on the back end to come up and run support and be effective. Because the last thing you want is, is to allow those good running backs from South Carolina to consistently get to the second level where they're having to be tackled by, by defensive backs. And that, that's just not a, that's not a good formula to try to win. And that kind of goes into you, how Bateman will, will elect to disguise coverages, how he'll try to blitz all these types of things. And I will say this, as Bateman told us uh, earlier in training camp, and we, we talked about this when Vic Conan was here, it's going to look like he blitzes a lot because you're going to see a cornerback come up. You're going to see a safety come up. You're going to see a linebacker come up. But a lot of the times what will happen is he's just going to drop a, an outside linebacker, a guy that would be up on the, on the line of scrimmage. And so a large percentage of the time, he's just going to send four. Now he will send five, but as he said, he sent, he sent six guys at army last year once. So it's not like he is a blitz-heavy guy. It'll appear that way, uh, but typically when he's sending somebody from the from the back seven, uh, you're going to see one of those defensive linemen, one of those outside linebackers, drop back into coverage. Jason, his approach out the gate, first quarter, first drive against South Carolina is it a feeling out process, or does Bateman uh, empty the tool bag right away against South Carolina? I think I think it's more of a feeling out process, but the thing the thing is Bateman's feeling out process is going to involve some zone blitzes and and some pressures and so on, but it's going to be situational. You know, if it's first, it depends on when they first get the ball. I mean, if they get the ball at the fifty yard line, that, that then what you do is going to be different than if they get the ball in the twenty five. So, what what I do expect is that they're going to focus first and foremost on getting. On, on on getting control of the line of scrimmage and making it difficult to run between the tackles. They're going to try to, to stretch things out and force them to beat them with the pass. That's going to be the emphasis. That's going to be, I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. If they, if they're not able to stop the run in this game, they're not winning the game. And, and Bateman knows that. I think that's part of why you're, you're seeing Fox at that outside linebacker position is it makes him a little bit bigger in this game because South Carolina is going to try to run the football down their throats. Now, South Carolina also has a veteran quarterback in Jake Bentley. They've got some veteran receivers with some explosiveness, so they're going to be balanced. But in terms of what they're going to try to do to you, they're going to try to run it down your throat. And so Bateman's emphasis is going to be putting his guys in position to try to limit the run game up front and you know try to get try to get in better leverage positions i mean if if you can if you're seeing south carolina in second and five second and four 
that sort of thing early on, that's, that's a danger sign. That's a warning sign. If you're seeing South Carolina struggle to get more than two, three yards per carry early on, that's exactly what Bateman's going to want to do to set the, set the, uh, the table for later on. That allows him to empty the, the, the toolbox on, uh, you know, empty the goodie bag on third down and long and that sort of thing and force, force them to throw into some exotic looks and all of that and try to create some turnovers. But it really starts with that. And that's just base football. That's, that is running your base defense, which is going to include some fires and all that, but that's all. Greg, most important person. If North Carolina wins this game, what defensive player for North Carolina has played his best game? One. Uh, well, uh, see, I think that's I think that's problematic, Tommy, because I, I think there's two guys. We've okay. heard all <laughs> offseason about two. Crawford and Strobridge. But Jason's <laughs> exactly right in that South Carolina, if they can get away with just pounding the ball and having success, they're going to do that. And so North Carolina's best chances of, of stopping that, uh, I think, is Crawford and Strobridge. Like, I mean, you got two senior defensive linemen. The coaching staff has hyped them as NFL players. There's not many other NFL players currently, you know, guys that have potential to be possibly. Uh, but they have to they have to stand up tall. And the other element I wanted to, to add to kind of what Jason said there is Bateman is has been open. I don't think he's going into this game, especially, and probably against Clemson, it's going to be the same way in a few weeks. It's not a matter of winning every single snap. It's a matter of winning enough snaps. And so if you're aggressive in how you've disguised some things, how you've orchestrated some some blitzes, if you can get South Carolina behind the chains just enough, then things tilt in your favor. And instead of kind of being reactive, you can be proactive and you can be aggressive. And that's how you get off the field. And that's that's how you have a good third down percentage rate. And that's how you get some turnovers. Um, so I expect him to take some chances. But if those guys up front aren't solid, uh, I don't think any of this other stuff really matters. All right. So since Greg broke the rules and, and picked two, Jason, I'm going to eliminate those two from your decision and give me one player on defense that's that needs to be very, very good on Saturday in Panther Stadium for Carolina to win the ballgame. Let's see. Leaving out those two, who would have been my my choice? Uh, I'm going to stay on the I'm going to stay on the on the front. Then I'm going to go with with Fox with Tomon Fox. I think he has to have a game up front as well, providing some pressure, uh, w- serving as as setting the edge when they when they do try to run wide and making sure that that they're able to compress the edge a little bit uh, and and leave little space in the run game. He's going to need to be the next guy that plays really, really well for them to win this game. You're you're not beating South Carolina without without winning the battle in the trenches. That's just the way that they play football, and that's why, by the way, Virginia was able to 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 beat them like they did in the in the bowl game. Virginia's got some line of scrimmage stuff, or did last year, and ultimately, you're going to have to win enough battles on the line of scrimmage to create some pressure, to force some, force some three and outs, 
to get your offense the ball and give your your young quarterback some advantageous field position and opportunity to to uh, to throw without a whole lot of pressure on him. But I, I think I think it's going to be the two that Greg mentioned, and then Fox as the next guy. Those guys need to play well. That's a great point about. I mean, it's always whoever wins the trenches, but especially against the South Carolina team. You know, I, I think North Carolina's got to be good, got to stay healthy, and got to stay fresh uh, and prevent South Carolina from just running the football. Let's pivot away from the game plan and go to our predictions. And I've said this before, and we picked the season uh, last week on the Inside Carolina podcast. And, and feel free to change your prediction for this game if you need to. But, Jason, I, I will not let you piggyback off Greg, and I need a score. Um, and I need an MVP, Carolina, South Carolina. So are we talking about Carolina's MVP? Or are we talking about the game MVP? Game MVP. Ooh, that's harder. Um, okay, so I'm going to go with South Carolina to win the game. I do think that this is a this is a game that North Carolina can win. But ultimately, I think South Carolina comes in with a veteran quarterback with established line of scrimmage with a lot of players that, that – uh, that you know that, that played a lot of football and they were injured a lot last year they built a lot of depth i'm going to go with south carolina wins this game say uh 20 24 to 17 or i'll go 27 to 20 uh in this game i think it'll be right in right in that range uh i think they they're probably about 70% likely to win this game and for the for the player of the game or for their mvp i'm going to go with uh I'm going to go with Jamias Williams, or uh, uh, one of their one of their defensive backs. I'm going to say maybe he gets a a key interception or something like that as uh, that that winds up being uh, being one of the differences. As uh, you've got the young gunslinger who's probably going to make some mistakes in this game, but he's going to grow from them and he's going to be a good player. Greg, I'll let you close it. Uh, score, winner, and MVP. Yeah, I think South Carolina's just. Just got too much. I think they're too far ahead in the rebuilding process. And uh, I've got this one at 35-21. I think South Carolina covers. Uh, I think Bentley plays well. I don't, I don't think North Carolina is able to get enough pressure on him. Uh, but I know quarterback's kind of a cop-out. So I'll go with uh, I'll go with Feaster, Clemson transfer. I, I think he'll have a, a big game running the ball. Um, I think – Rico um, Dowdell will have a pretty good game too, but I'll go with Feaster as the MVP for the Gamecocks. All righty. I'll stick with what I said in our Inside Carolina prediction show. I, I sense a, a Southern Cal Carolina matchup from 93. I'm going to go Carolina, North Carolina, 31 to 26. MVP for me is going to be Daz Newsom. I think he makes some some plays on the edge and in the middle of the field from North Carolina. Got to gotta do something different than everybody else did on our podcast in the past and on this one. Greg, Jason, the first of many game previews. I hope they're as fun as this one all season long, but I appreciate you guys taking the time to talk to me tonight. It's always fun. Thanks, Tommy. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by T-shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase.